Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full potential of your company by solving the problems that are impacting your growth. I want to thank our sponsors, the Collaborative Community of San Diego Business Organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local San Diego. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leader. Welcome to the show. If you are anything like me, you have one, two, maybe even more behaviors or habits that you know that if you could either change them up, eliminate them, or find some alternative, your life would be significantly better. Knowing how hard it is to give up burgers, smoking, or controlling your temper, imagine if it was your job to try to convince other people to change their deep-rooted behaviors. Well, that's exactly what our guest today here at Conscious Curiosity SD does. And I must say, I'm hoping I'll get a couple inside tips on how to order a salad instead of a burger the next time I go out to eat. Kristen Carroll, welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So Kristen is the Chief Executive Officer of Rescue the Behavior Change Agency headquartered here in San Diego with six offices across the U.S. She has an amazing background from the New York City ad world. I think that's thinking like the Mad Men, that show. That's the, that was of, it, back in the that. day. Uh, involved with uh, a tech startup that went from IPO to a billion-dollar private equity sale. And as she says now, she's in her favorite role, leading Rescue. Rescue has received many accolades, has been a B Corp since 2014, and Kristen's on the board of Be Local, which is uh, one of our community sponsors for the Conscious Curiosity podcast. And she has three daughters. So that must keep you busy just right there. They do. They're wonderful. So Kristen, looking forward to this. Are you ready to roll? Let's do it. Well, the first thing is, uh, I always like the audience to get a little idea of who you are. Maybe you could share a little bit. Obviously, you've done some really big things in life, very exciting things. Maybe share a few of the defining moments that have gotten to you where you are today. Wow, a few defining moments. That's a great question. I mean, I I don't really think of the things that I've done as big things. There's things that add up maybe in small steps to bigger things. I guess back in the day, you know, even in, in as early as college, I was always fascinated by communications and, and marketing. I actually went into marketing because I was just inspired by Nike, as many of us were. And, you know, the notion of just do it, the notion that communications could actually inspire someone to take action was really compelling to me. I went to school for advertising at Syracuse University back east, where there's a lot of snow, which is why I now live in San Diego. I almost lived up that way once. It it was a wonderful place to go to school, but I never knew you could live like you can live in San Diego. It is truly America's finest city. But I, I majored in advertising at the Newhouse School, and I also found myself thinking that and seeing that there were just other things that would interest me. I had a professor, actually freshman year, who I've reconnected with recently, who focused on policy studies and the, the, the notion that there is a connection between the private sector, business, the public sector, and the community in which you live. And he urged us all the time to not just go and get a job after college, but really go do good, make a difference. 
found myself double majoring in advertising and policy studies, which was so interesting because my advertising professors were wondering why I was volunteering down at the local after school site or tutoring inmates at the local jail. And my policy studies professor told me I was selling my soul to the devil at Newhouse in advertising. But I felt like there was something really compelling about how you could use communications to actually create good. And the seed for me was planted back then. And it's really kind of followed me along this journey of really understanding uh, the business environment, working in advertising agencies in New York City, then working at a startup here in San Diego. It was called Active.com or Active Network. And seeing that company go through a significant transformation from less than 100 people when I joined to over 3,600 people, IPO, private equity sale. It was my living, breathing MBA program. Yes, and yes, then that had to be quite the journey. It was. What, and what it period was, of time did all that happen in? No that time. was between 2001 for me and 2013, 14, 2014. Okay. Uh, and that was it's before fun to be in that active ride of network like that. Though, right? Absolutely, I mean, it was just, uh, a wild ride, and uh, it was an amazing company. As folks in San Diego may know, Active Network left San Diego in 2014 and moved their headquarters to Dallas, Texas. But then I, I kind of came full circle and I found uh, Rescue Agency, which is the firm that I'm, I'm currently at, and they were a organization that really combined, you know, both business, but also advertising communications and the power to do good. And so there's a lot of little stories inside of all of that, but that's kind of my, my high level journey. Nice. What would you say what maybe the big kind of best advice that you got along the way, or maybe something that went kind of wrong along the way that really made you kind of look at things a little different and maybe set the course a little differently, Any, anything along those lines? Yeah, well, so interesting, like your your title of your podcast is Conscious Curiosity. And I think I definitely followed curiosity more than I followed a traditional path. Again, even in, in as early as college, my, my professors and the leaders and mentors I had were confused about what I was doing. And I quite didn't know what I was doing either, but I was You're really curious and interested. Age, right? um, and heading into New York City, I worked at a huge, big ad agency. I had the, you know, cush job. I was... Uh, working on General Motors. I was traveling to Detroit every week. I would stay in the Four Seasons when I went to Boston so for agency meetings. Kind of oh, it was yeah. the Mad Men. And I saw the company spending money like drunken sailors. I couldn't figure out exactly how it all worked and it didn't make sense to me. And I quit that job because it wasn't my people. I ultimately landed the Partnership for Drug-Free America, which was a nonprofit at the time that was had the opportunity, I should say, to lead the first ever large-scale government-sponsored social marketing campaign. There was an Office of National Drug Control Policy effort that was $150 million in size, and they were focused on creating messages to educate parents and teens about drugs. This was not the ju just say no era. This was a little bit more nuanced than that, and it was about trying to use communications to change behavior. But we didn't really talk about it like that. And so my so job- that was the beginning, right? What you're doing today, you actually were doing I did that back similar. in, you know, before 2000. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, what was so fascinating is that I, as a young, early career person, was charged with calling creative directors of large-scale agencies and asking them to do work for free. And they almost always said yes. They were, I have one in particular where there was a gentleman in Chicago at J. Walter Thompson, you know, a storied agency with just a, an incredible background. 
And he said, God help me if I have to do one more commercial for a Kraft macaroni and cheese. Please let me work on something that, you know, can help create change in my community. And that was just an amazing light bulb moment for me. And it was a great opportunity for me to learn from leaders and luminaries in the ad world really early on. That was a great learning experience and one that I was really grateful for. Ah, perfect. So, so kind of seeking that something like the, the GM thing, like lots of money flowing. One big oh, it was all there. Crazy. I mean, I yeah. should have stayed at that job, but I quit. <laughs> but you wanted a little bit more life. There was, there was, you and I just felt like impact, there was something right? else that communications and advertising could do. And I followed that curiosity and, you know, it's led me where I am today. So you, you were involved with the, the startup that went on to do big, big things. Like what was the biggest takeaway for you there? I mean, what, what would you say? All the things that happen, here's the thing that I, I definitely still honor today, make sure it's part of my organization today, part of my leadership. What would that be? One thing. Well, I did move from New York City to San Diego because who wouldn't want to live here? And there was really nothing more than that. I didn't know. I knew one person in San Diego when I came. Um, but the journey at Active Network was an incredible one. And I think that, you know, the one takeaway I take personally every day is to make sure that I learn from every experience. You know, business is sometimes exciting and wonderful and sometimes incredibly frustrating. And what I took away from, you know, 13 years of a career is really making sure that every time there was frustration, there was also an opportunity to look at something and be fascinated by it, to seek to understand what was actually happening and why it was happening. And I really found myself interested in understanding the big picture and understanding how different things work, how departments work together, how leaders work together, what the economic impacts of, you know, changing economies were. You know, we were working in the technology space at a time where it was still nascent and not fully formed. And so really understanding that there wasn't a roadmap, but that if you could take one step forward and a next step and a next step, you can get pretty far. But then also, Honesty in business is really important and really making sure that you can be objective about performance and how a business is going to be successful over a period of time is important. You know, we went through a period where we were a private company and we had, you know, we had a board. They were, you know, a very strong board. The board was involved for over 10 years the natural path was to go public. And so we went IPO. I managed investor relations. You know, we were on the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, so you had to go through that, that whole path. It was exciting that, an and, experience. you know, a really, really wonderful experience, but it also was really challenging. And so at the end of the day, the numbers did not add up the way that, you know, the leadership had anticipated. And that was really tough to watch and tough to see. And it created a lot of, um, you know, confusion and challenge in the organization. And so, you know, in a very short period of time, we went from going public to going private and actually selling to a private equity firm. And that was a tough process to go through. And I just learned a ton about business. One of the things that happened during that time was that the culture of the company that had been so rich, I mean, Active Network was a technology company that was all about powering sports and activities all over the country. And so our, our mission as a company was to make the world a more active place. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could sign up online for activities and the more activities you signed up for, the more engaged your community was, the more healthy your community was. And that really was, you know, a wonderful mission and kind of vision. But the business needed the technology to catch up to the vision of where we were going. Mm, okay. And that was really hard to kind of swallow and understand. 
And there were a lot of business decisions that needed to be made that hadn't been made. And so we watched the culture of the company deteriorate pretty quickly. And at the end of that, that journey- kind of post the IPO or- I mean, Post private, IPO. Okay. Post IPO. Um, post IPO and then to private equity. And when right. you sell to a private equity firm, and I think this is oh, really important, <laughs> it's all about the <laughs> spreadsheet and it's all about yeah. the money. And I think it's really important when we think about conscious capitalism or conscious business to understand that the purpose of business, you know, the purpose of a corporation, if you look at it, is to provide value to the stakeholders, period. That is in every corporate charter, right. unless you are a public benefit corporation. And so when we went through that process and the culture of the company really was, you know, ripped out, if you will, the heart was ripped out of the, the organization. Lots of folks, obviously staff were, were really um, confused and disheartened, but I tried to understand, well, what could have happened differently? And how could we have saved our own company? How could we have kept our culture intact? Is there a way to do it where we didn't, you know, sell the company, move to Texas, offshore our technology talent to China, close, you know, 10 offices in a period of six months? Almost feel like selling out, right? Everything just- A little bit. Yeah. And really what I learned was that the company did everything it was supposed to do by definition of a company. The thing that was interesting to understand even further was that there are different models for companies that are starting to emerge that allow you to not just focus on the shareholder, but focus on stakeholder capitalism. And in many cases, stakeholder capitalism is really the ability to balance not only the shareholder, it's not about a company not being profitable, but balancing the shareholder, balancing the community, and balancing the customers. Or you could also hear it as people, planet, profit, but really just making sure that there's a balancing act there versus a very singular focus on shareholder value. Right, which is kind of what the B Corp and all that's all about. Which is exactly where I found B Corp. And B Corp, you know, I, I saw this TED talk, it's from Bart Houlihan, who's one of the founders of B Corp movement. He actually worked at And One, which is a, sportswear and apparel brand back in the day. And he went through a very similar experience that I had gone through. And it was like watching myself where he said, we had this amazing culture. We had, you know, paid benefits. All of our employees stayed and the tenure of our employees was great. And then we wanted to grow. And so when we wanted to grow, we took in outside money and we lost control of our organization because money became the driver. And he went through the same learning experience. I, I literally just emailed him and said, I have to meet you. I know your story. <laughs> and I, see, I went I and that, met I him. Yeah. I went and met him and, you know, we shared just the story. And, you know, as I entered Rescue Agency, you know, this all came full circle for me. And I said, look, like there is a very clear mission in this company. Um, Rescue is already mission oriented. They have a benefit to the communities around them. But companies go through evolutions over time. And I think what's sometimes missing in the hopeful, inspired leadership view that you have early on is that you wanna set an organization up to be sustainable over that long period of time and to be able to weather any things that come to you that you may not expect. We set up uh, Rescue as a, as a B Corp and ultimately then as a public benefit corporation to oh, make sure- You're, you're both. We're both. Okay. Uh, to make sure that the mission of our company was not only something that we talked about, but that it was built into you know, who we were in our DNA, but also our legal corporate charter. 
So maybe share with the audience that maybe, you know, these are kind of some new terminologies. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's, there's a B Corp thing, there's this benefit corporation. What's the differences? Great yeah. question. Yeah. And I had to go and research that and I still learn new things often. But essentially at the end of the day, B Corp is a certification. It's like fair trade for, you know, organic farming, for example, or lead for, you know, uh, construction, manufacturing and energy conservation. And so it's a certification that companies willingly go through. They essentially are graded, if you will, and or scored on certain areas. And these standards have actually evolved over time. They're going through a big evolution process right now, but they generally center around the governance of the organization, the impact that you make, how you treat your employees and how you're able to, you know, support the, the climate justice and the climate and environmental standards of a company. In the case of Rescue, for example, we are a behavior change marketing firm. Our mission as a company is to make healthy behaviors easier and more appealing. Our focus is exclusively in public health. Our impact is really around the health standards. So we started in 2014, we took the certification every two years initially, and now every three years you have to be recertified. And those standards change. And the tests actually get harder. And so what it really does for us as a company is it makes sure that we are keeping up with how can companies actually be a force for good? What does it mean? And how can we change our policies to get better and better over time in a way where we know that we're you know, improving and we're evolving? It does not mean we're perfect, but it certainly means that we're open to learning and, and getting better. And so, but making it part of who we are. It's a part of it's who not, we it's are. It's not something we do on Tuesday. It's it's, like, it's we, part we of every it, single right. decision. We live it and breathe it. Yeah. And so that's the B Corp certification. It's run by B Lab. That organization has now grown significantly. There are almost six thousand B Corps, you know, worldwide. There's a B Lab U.S. and Canada that really governs all the activity in North America. And, you know, they're consistently and constantly, you know, sharing new standards, new ideas, new, you know, areas of focus. Um, Here locally, how many B Corps do we have in San Diego? So locally in San Diego, we have 25-ish B Corps, which I think is actually great, except that recently at the CAUSE conference, I learned that there were 11,000 nonprofits. So 11,000 nonprofits in San Diego versus 25 B Corps. Seems lopsided. And as the chair of Be Local, I think we can figure out how to change that, which is one of the reasons why I'm just really thankful to have this type of conversation to just share, you know, kind of the education. And what is Be Local? Be Local is the local chapter of um, B Corps. And so we have 25 of them. Some of the wonderful Be Locals here in San Diego include Classy. Rescue Agency, as you know, um, Believer, I know you've met Scott, Civilian, Stacy, Flock Freight, which is a highly and fast-growing company. They were recently named on the top Times list of top 100 most influential companies oh, wow. in the U.S., which is incredible, and I love that they're here in San Diego. Um, we need to get them in here. We do need to get them in here. Um, and other companies like Kind Humans, um, Koa and Roy, which is a small startup led by two women um, who created it on their own. And uh, Visceral is another company and they create websites only for social impact clients. So we have a really thriving, you know, small, be local community. And our goal at the end of the day is foster connection among local organizations who share our purpose, really to, ingro- to increase the positive impact of the be local community 
and then raise awareness. So Perfect. that's what we're here doing. All right. So one more. Mm -hmm. Be certified. Yeah. We're, so, we're going through the whole list. Here, so Chris. we're going through the whole thing. <laughs> so we, sh we talked a little bit about B Corp mm -hmm. and becoming certified just a minute ago. And you have to get a score. The minimum score is 80. Rescue's score is 109. So we're very proud of that. But the flip side is that if you do become a B Corp certified, you are required to become a public benefit corporation within a period of three years. Oh, I did not know that. That is a requirement. And this is a legal exercise. Now, you can be a public benefit corporation without being a certified B Corp. But theoretically, in order to be a certified B Corp, you have to eventually become a public benefit corporation. Is and that in all 50 states? Because I was understanding that not all states honor that. Not all states honor that, but there is a way that you can register in all 50 states. In California specifically, they did create a law where if you, because it is an available corporate structure, if you are a B Corp certified company, you have to become a public benefit corporation. There are ways to incorporate in other places, like you can incorporate in Delaware, where many companies do, but there are a lot of legal kind of nuances, learnings, implications that you do have to understand before you move into a legal public benefit corporation um, situation. This is a new form of a business. Many people ask, well, are there tax benefits? The short answer is no, they're not, which there should be. Similar to maybe a minority, you know, owned business or a women owned business, maybe, you know, one day there will be. But at this point in time, the reason that a public benefit corporation could be both compelling and important to a company is because it legally allows the company to put the mission of the company in their corporate charter and to legally balance the interests of their customers, their community, and their people, or people purpose planet, if you will. When a company does take on external shareholders in a traditional corporate structure, because the purpose of the company is to provide value to the shareholders, they oftentimes are not legally protected in making decisions that don't immediately drop the best outcome to the bottom line. And I did see this through Active Network, and this happens with many public companies, but when we went public, we went out at around $15 a share. When we sold to a private equity firm, we sold at about $15 a share. We still, as an organization, were sued because some shareholders thought that they could and or should have gotten more out of the entire investment that they made. Now, to be clear, in today's environment, anyone can sue anyone. So right. the lawsuits weren't necessarily founded on anything, but it got me really understanding the purpose of legal protection. As a traditional company with a traditional corporate charter, the responsibility was to the shareholders, period, hard stop. As a company that has a public benefit corporation structure, you can legally balance those things. And you still have to answer to shareholders, yeah, right? They are part of the stakeholder part of the, part group, of the equation, yeah. but they're not the only part. And I think that's where um, transparency, visibility, and really centering a company on mission is, is a different and new idea. So one of the ways I looked at this, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you think about the public company and you also hear about this hostile takeover, mm -hmm. where someone comes in, they say, oh, we're gonna offer you X amount more than your current shares. Well, in the traditional model, it's like, you kind of have to do it, right? You don't have a choice because that would be the best thing for the shareholder. 
But we also know they're going to come in. They're going to kind of what they did to your company. We're going to take it apart and mm-hmm. sell it for its pieces. And then we're going to make a whole bunch more money mm-hmm. and basically destroy what was created. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have a say in the matter. But if you were uh, B certified, then you'd say, well, wait a minute. Uh, we know where you want to go with this. And that's not good for all our different stakeholders. And then you have a, a legal way of saying no versus. If you're a we, legal public benefit corporation, yes, you would have the ability you have to. You the option to say have, no to that. Yep. Where, which is kind of crazy in the other models. Like, Okay, have well, at if it. You think about people as consumers today. We have high expectations of the companies that we are patrons of, except those companies are not responsible to us. Those companies are responsible to one thing: the shareholder. Yeah, one thing. Based on how companies in, you know, America work. Yeah. Well, this is a big movement. It's happening slowly but surely. It's a good thing. It causes us to start to look beyond the end of the quarter and the end of the year, right? Now we're starting to say, let's build an organization for the long term. Yeah, and how, vision, do you create, a, yeah. how do you create a business for the long term? I think that's a really compelling and interesting interesting idea. So hopefully this movement's going to continue. I know the big roundtable in D.C., they've kind of made some noise and some people have signed some things. So maybe this is the future. Let's talk about behavioral change. I need to stop eating hamburgers. <laughs> Let's do that. Yes. <laughs> so how the heck do you influence society to take things that are just so deep rooted, right? Our habits and all these things. How do you do that? Give us the insight. What's the story here? Well, Rescue is what we call a behavior change marketing firm. Um, and as I shared, you know, our mission is to make healthy behaviors easier and more appealing and we work exclusively to improve those health behaviors like um, tobacco control, helping people to quit smoking or helping to make sure that teens have the right information so they don't start smoking or vaping. It's really vaping these days. Um, we focus on substance misuse, meth, fentanyl, the opioid crisis, um, mental health, cannabis education as cannabis has become legalized in many, many places across the country, including California, Early childhood education, nutrition assistance, healthy eating, physical activity. These are hard, hard things to solve. I'm not sure there's necessarily a solve, but there are ways that we've learned that we can help nudge people and or move people away from unhealthy behaviors and towards healthier behaviors. The first thing about hamburgers <laughs> is that I that's probably, problem, right. no one probably needs you to say, needs to say to you, hey, let's just stop eating hamburgers. You know, we all kind of know in many ways what some of these healthy behaviors are. We did a lot of work actually with the California Department of Public Health and um, their nutrition and obesity prevention branch and did research all over the state to understand how to help low-income Californians eat healthier. And at the end of the day, when we start with a project, it is all about taking ourselves out of the situation and deeply listening to the audience that we're trying to serve and or help. We have to make sure that we understand the values, the identity, the belief systems that, to your point, why are, are deep why, why are you eating these hamburgers, Jeff? But much of this is unconscious, right? <laughs> right? This isn't a conscious decision, and it's actually no one's fault. And so it doesn't help us to tell anyone, hey, you should eat more broccoli, right? We generally know that we should eat more vegetables. But if you really listen and talk to folks, and and I'll use moms as an example, because we did some incredible research and and focus groups with um, both at the quantitative and qualitative perspective, just even talking to moms, A, you know, they don't have time. Um, Their kids might not eat the healthy food, which means it's wasted, which means they, they wasted money. They are exhausted. They don't know what to cook. They don't know how to cook within a budget in a way that's healthy. There's so many barriers that 
we experience and that people experience that it's not about telling folks what to do. And I think that's really important in terms of behavior change. None of our work is focused on having a better answer than what someone is already you know, doing. Instead, what we're trying to do is really understand how can we make the healthy choice the easier choice? And how can we put ourselves in the life of, in the journey of that individual and help them make that healthier choice. So we did actually a large scale segmentation study, for example, and we found two groups that, you know, were uh, both high risk of potentially not eating very healthy, but also like had an appetite and, and propensity towards change. You know, one of these groups was kind of stability seekers, folks where actually culture was deep seated in them. Traditional ethnic foods were important to them. And they would just say things like, well, I'm just not going to change because this is who we are. Well, that value and that identity is really important. Instead of telling them not to eat the food that's important to them, you know, we shared how to eat and how to adapt recipes so that they could be healthier and how to help them understand, you know, what to do, what they're already doing, but just a little healthier and actually move them towards a healthier behavior. There's another group that is really focused on uh, giving and it's all about providing for others. I mean, take a mom, take a, an abuela, take you know someone who's caring for uh, a family. They're often gonna put their own needs secondary to the needs of others. But what we were able to do is help them understand that by taking care of themselves, they're actually taking care of their family and creating a path for them to be happy to and to be open to doing things that would actually enrich their own life in order to enrich others' lives. So those are just two very simple examples. Right, but. right. Yeah, um, you know, I, I did the Noom diet. I don't mm -hmm, know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that. I am familiar it, with it. It actually was very, very effective for me. Mm -hmm. It was Wonderful. the one time I actually kind of put it all back on. But anyways, <laughs> that's a whole other story. You look great. But thanks. You know, every day they had this sort of daily information thing. Mm -hmm. And, and as, as you started to learn some of these things, like the size of the plate over the last 20 years has grown by like 25%. Mm -hmm. And you know, as we fill up the plate, you got to eat the whole plate. And it was just some of those factors like that made me really realize, I'll even say like ice cream. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you get the thing of ice cream, you eat a chunk of ice cream. And the next day you got a little bit of ice cream. And so you get a like really old small bowl and you stick it in and it's, it, that bowl's full. It's full. And you find out like two bites is really all you really need. Mm -hmm. You don't mm -hmm. need the 10. So it's just like having those little things and just knowing like a smaller plate will have a big impact. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just like these little tricks. I think that's what you're saying is kind of a little different education. You don't, still, you can still have your ice cream, but just have the first two bites because that's the best bites anyway. Absolutely. And breaking big problems or big challenges down, like eating healthy into small bite-sized pieces. That's really important. Yeah. And you know, when we think about behavior change, we think about changes in knowledge, we think about changes in policy, and we think about changes in social norms, right? And, and when we put together a campaign, we're really thinking about, well, what area can we focus on and what's gonna help the largest, you know, swath of the population? So how do you deal with, like one of the things, again, kind of the, in the, the Noom program had to do with uh, getting educated about this, like you, the studies you see and mm -hmm. what we're told from the advertising side of the world and all this that, Aren't always, there's an agenda back to kind of the mm -hmm. capitalism where you got to mm -hmm. keep growing the pie or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you have this whole other force over here that you're kind of going against as well. Like, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, I think what you're asking is how do you deal with competing information? Right. That may and not be totally honest. The and environment, and it's so interesting because in, let's be honest, the environment in which we live today is not set up to create healthy behaviors. 
almost everywhere we go, we are inundated with something that could distract us towards an unhealthier behavior versus healthy behavior. I mean, there's certainly not ads out there for, for you to go walking. You can go buy shoes, but it's not about walking. It's about the shoes. I guess what we would say is, you know, we're really focused on very specific behaviors and in many cases, some of the most serious behaviors. So what's interesting is from a public health perspective, when we look at our populations as a whole, you know, public health is really about changing the largest size or segment of the population to create a stronger public health path over time. And even in order to change public health, you have to get very specific and understand segmented populations in an intimate way. And that's a lot of what our research work does that I mentioned at the very beginning of any project. We are focused on really breaking down those of our community who are most at risk for an unhealthy behavior, whether it is healthy eating or something more serious like mental health illness or um, you know substance misuse. How do we really understand what's going on there so that it's not us telling them what we think that they should know, but how do we make sure that we're coming to them with a path where the behaviors can be easier, with really deeply thought through empathy, where we can understand that they are going through something that we have to understand before we can help them, you know, kind of move towards a healthier behavior. That deep empathy is our organizational value. It's something that we think about at the beginning of every campaign, but all the way through to make sure that there is never any judgment is always about how do we create a path for hope and how do we create a path for health? I was sharing earlier, my wife runs a nonprofit in PB that deals with the homeless. And I, so I know quite a bit about that and what that looks like and the challenges of all that. And I find myself in conversations with peers of mine and, you know, the general attitude, well, just get them, go get a job. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know, that simple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that probably solve everything. But if you start to look at all the barriers to getting up and going getting a job, then all of a sudden that looks entirely different. And so it's really about breaking it down, really understanding what's going on. And then how do you, I guess, kind of knock each of those down and give a kind of an alternative path to try and get to success? Absolutely. And, you know, we do work all over the country. You know, we work with the FDA and the CDC at a national level, but we also work with over 25 states from Maine to Hawaii and New Mexico to Indiana and South Carolina to California. And What's interesting is that while each of these different areas has their own unique challenges, you know, people have, you know, strong commonalities. And when we're doing our work in um, public health and behavior change, different than a commercial advertising agency where Pepsi is competing with Coke, we work really hard to share learnings across all of our clients so that if we're working on mental health stigma reduction work in San Diego County, which we actually are right now with um, San Diego HHSA, we can share those learnings with other states. It is our opportunity to help states, counties, and you know federal agencies learn about populations faster because we want to solve these problems and create positive health outcomes faster. And there's a lot to be done to your point in San Diego, and I'm glad that your wife is tackling that issue. Well, she's one of many, and it's a, it's a difficult one. Leadership, you're running a sizable organization. What's the biggest challenges as a leader today? Well, we've got over 200 employees now and we're growing, I think, as an organization, as many companies have over the past few years since COVID. We've gone through challenging times during the COVID period and we've come out both in many ways stronger, but also different. Previously, you know, we've had we have six offices, but I got to tell you, not everybody's in the office all the time. And we've created a policy where we want people to do to work where they do their best work. 
Um, that is both wonderful and challenging because we just don't see each other the same way that we used to. And so we talk a lot about employee engagement, culture, making sure that we are able to effectively train, teach, and engage people at all levels of the organization and make sure that that fabric of a company, both in terms of supporting each other, but even when there's challenges in a project or with a client, that we're set up to withstand those challenges and that we can create a culture of feedback and create a culture of you know openness and conversation so that we can work through some of those do you, challenges. Do you have anything specific you could share? Because I mean, this this is the kind of the common conversation is like, you know, how, how do I manage this when I can't see these folks? And um, even back to like creativity, you know, creativity when two people are sitting together, sometimes natural things happen that aren't going to happen. Yeah, if I mean, from home. There, any, any there are little, there are little things um, that we've kind of developed and, and grown across the organization. But I think you know. Two things that are important is that one, we have regular touch points in all staff meetings, you know, with everyone all over the country. Every Monday, we start with a Monday huddle and we are sharing work and celebrating each other's accomplishments. For the most part, really it's making sure or, I mean, it's everybody. It's everybody. We bring everybody, oh, everybody is invited. <laughs> and so, and we also try to have a lot of different people from across the organization present. Everyone should have a voice. And it's one of the most wonderful things to see a team who's been working so hard on a project then be able to share, you know, the outcome of that project or even the midway progress of that project. And so Monday huddles have become part of our culture and they're really, really important. How long, how long does that last? What's that? Uh, we have 20 minute huddles three times a week so or three times a an, month. An, an, and then we have a 30 minute huddle on you know, the first of every month. So an agile approach. Period. Exactly. Yeah. And so then so we kind also, of note the file. I mean, here's an organization with 200 and some people, six mm -hmm. locations, and yes, you can all get together. And oh, we all get together. Yeah. And, you know, wow. people are active in the chat. You know, we use Slack. There are, I mean, the level of communication in one way is, is not the same because we're not in person, but we create ways in which we can get to know each other at a deeper level in lots of different ways. And it happens at the all company level. It happens in special interest, you know, Slack groups. It happens in departments. It happens in cross departments. Um, and we also have created Friday meetings where we do everything from have trivia breakout days to um, sharing a quarterly business update where we give a deep dive into what's happening with our business, why it's happening, and and probably for some more information than they want, but we'd rather provide more information than less information so that everybody's working you know, from the same place. Um, we have tech takeovers where our IT team you know, helps people. They make sure that they always know that they've got someone that is on their side. And we do a lot of work with our JEDI committee, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. We have um, celebrations of you know, many different occasions throughout the year where we have people share their own cultural heritage, their family stories, really make sure that people can bring their whole self to their work. And I think that's really important. And the diversity in our organization is something that I'm proud of, but that also we will continue to work on because we represent a lot of different communities and we wanna make sure that we are representing that from a point of perspective and lived experience. Um, versus just exclusively our research. Kristen, that's great stuff. Note the file, right? That doesn't just happen. I mean, that that's part of who you are. That's part of our mission, part of our purpose. And we're putting effort into making that happen. So good, good stuff. And I got to give a lot of credit to our team because a lot of these ideas, they bubble up organically through the people. And I think that's something that we've tried to do is really just make sure that we're listening and learning 
about what's important to them. It's not just about what's important to me. Certainly there are things that are important to me and our leadership team, but it's also about, you know, creating an environment where they can, you know, provide feedback, ideas, and that those ideas are acted upon. So it's no different than what you do as a product, right? Exactly. You want to actually really find out what people need. What are the barriers? What are the challenges? And mm -hmm. let's, let's figure them out. The other part of that is you don't have to solve that. Right. If you set the tone, the mission, these are what's important, then the organization finds the solutions to the problem. And you yeah, get I'm really, really good so stuff. proud of our team. Uh, our team has evolved a lot over time. And every day I'm just I learn something from our team. I'm inspired by our team. And they really are, you know, not only wonderful people, but exceptional talents at what they do. We talk a lot about unicorns at rescue, people who come with a pretty specific skill set, but that when they bring that skill set to rescue and we bring all of the unicorns together, it's just really incredibly powerful. And they've been able to really, you know, create a lot of a lot of healthy impact. A lot of health outcomes have improved as a result of their work. You're a leader of a large organization, you got locations around the country. Lots of crazy things going on in the world, some negativity for sure, and lots of little spots. What are you optimistic about? What am I optimistic about? I'm optimistic about the next generation of leaders and people who really want to solve problems. And, and I think that that's something where, I mean, even I have a problem turning on the news almost every day because you see the problems in black and white. And I often get overwhelmed by it, to be honest with you. Um, but I do get inspired, like I said, you know, by the team. One of the things that uh, I'm excited about that just as like an example of that, Rescue every other year since 2016 has created what we've called the Agents of Change Summit. And it's coming here to San Diego in March of 2023. It is a gathering of public health leaders from all over the country who work on the topics that I was sharing before. And we bring folks who are doing innovative things in public health to showcase like what's possible. How do you actually create change within an organization? We share some of our work, but we also share work from really important organizations that have a lot to teach us. You know, we'll have Brady United, who's focused on gun violence. We'll have Planned Parenthood. We'll have, um, you know, a focus on health equity the deputy director of health equity at the California Department of Public Health will be there with us. Actually here locally too, the National Conflict Resolution Center is here. It's a national organization, but headquartered here in San Diego. Steve Dinkins, their president, is gonna be talking about the art of inclusive communications. And then we'll also have media and technology leaders from Snapchat, from oh, Twitter, from Meta, from um, Google is a big sponsor of ours. And really what we're doing is we're bringing people who have examples of how to move forward in difficult times together. We'll probably have around 600, 700 public health leaders from all over the country gathering. And I get excited about that because it is a showcase of what is possible and to not get stuck in all of the issues, but instead recognize that there are pockets of progress being made and how can we really make sure that we can accelerate that. So, you know, the future generation of leadership and then people who are focused every day on doing amazing work in, in our space, specifically in public health, to help solve some of these big public health problems, those things get me excited. Nice, nice. Well, we're getting running out of time over here. It's been a lot of fun, very educational. What's the big takeaway? What would you like? You know, you're, you've done a lot of amazing things, seen a lot of amazing stuff, doing amazing things right now, right here in our community as, as well on a national level. What would you like people to remember? One big thought that you want to remember. Well, Conscious Curiosity San Diego is all about, 
you know, creating that curiosity where how can we use business as a force for good in San Diego? I wholly believe that it is possible to use business as a force for good. I've explored B Corp certification and public benefit corporation in order to help make those theories actionable. But I think that there's so many business leaders can, that can take a step just right now about how can we make sure that we're actually contributing in a positive way? Uh, and how can we make sure that we're honest about things that we might be contributing in a negative way? And, and what might be, we be able to do to change that? And so I think, you know, as a big takeaway, be curious about your business. And, you know, we all want to live in communities where uh, we're moving forward and we're creating progress and that we can have hope. And business is a really big part of that. I do think that San Diego is America's finest city. I am in love with this the city and this county. Um, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for all of us to think about how we can contribute more. Wow. Well, we're fortunate to have you part of this community. We need more leaders like you because we do have such opportunity. We really do. And business has a huge role, not the premier role in making this a great community. So Kristen, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today and share your amazing experience with us. I also want to thank you for all this wonderful work you're doing here locally, as well as across the nation to help us be a little healthier and obviously even stuff to save in people's lives. So that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and comment and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our community of business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capital San Diego, Be Local, Kristen, who's on the board, <laughs> go join up. And we're all collaborating in using the influence of business to positively impact our own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, in the meantime, go do what you do. Go do what you do best for all counting on you.